What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. We got a very special guest with us, rapper Big Pooh. What's going on, man? Not much, man. Just moving, grooving, you know, trying to stay winning, not losing, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where are you located these days? You in NC or where are you? Yeah, I'm in NC. I'm in Charlotte, NC. Um, okay, cool. We inside of my uh disheveled music room at the current moment uh you know i've been a lot of in and out since uh the in the beginning of august so things are kind of everywhere yeah yeah and you, you glad to be back are you back out and about in full or, or still like creeping your way back in no nah, it's been full man it's, i've been to europe i've been to different states i fly to phoenix on saturday i've been you know, all over the place working on this documentary, this little brother documentary. So um I'm I'm back outside, like outside never closed down. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. Definitely want to get into the documentary, but first we got to talk about your new album, To Dream in Color. Out now. Uh, I've been listening to it, man. Um, as soon as I heard it, I was like, yo, I definitely want to talk to Pooh because there's great content, great substance on this. Thank you. Obviously, the music is there, but and, and you've been doing this for years, man. Like, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan. I've been a fan for a long time, both Little Brother stuff and solo stuff. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate most is your content, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's important, man. Um, you know, it, it's so easy to not be yourself these days um, that you, you have to really make a certain effort to be you. And uh, I, I I like being me. <laughs> that's like that's I like dope. telling my story. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that because on dreaming dreaming in color, the first song, you say, and I think this is your grandmother who used to tell you, no matter where you go, remember who you are. Absolutely, is that right? Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. My grandmother, uh, rest in peace, Rosie Collins. Um, very forward thinking for someone that was born in 1940. Um, mm-hmm. She was the person who told me that school isn't for everybody. Um, she was the person that when I came home with tattoos and my ears pierced, you know, it didn't, you know, she wasn't taken aback by it. You know, mm-hmm. she was actually happy for me. And, you know, just as long as I was doing something honest and legal, um, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, my grandmother, man, she 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 meant a lot to me. And like I said, she was one of them people. She encouraged me to travel you know, and, and so just, I wanted to, you know, pay homage to her, you know, as I kicked off this album. That's amazing. So what are some of the other things you learned from her? Um, you know, just things like, you know, gardening, even though I can't garden to save my life. <laughs> uh, she was a gardener. Um, she's just very, very life, life oriented, man. Just, you know, she's about pursuing your dreams and, you know, you being happy and, and finding out who you are, not who people tell you you are, but you going out and finding out who you are for yourself. And she encouraged that. And that's something that um, I didn't know I was setting out to do, but I set out to do when I went to school. You know, it's interesting, you know, being your grandmother, that's, I guess, three generations removed from you. And you have a line in that same song to dream in color where you say, you know, three generations deep, we never see no real money used to dream. I would break the cycle. And you know, that song is, is heavy and it's, it's, it's complex because on one hand you're talking those affirmative lines of like knowing who you are, 
but on the other it deals like the lyrics also deal with loss and disappointment um and you say used to um as if that dream had paused or, or possibly died altogether but the song ends with affirmation too and the fact that you are going to make it so that's a that's a complex headspace. Can you speak to that idea a little bit of just where you were in writing that song mentally? Yeah. Um, you know, just thinking back when I was in high school, that's, that's kind of where I went. Um, and just thinking about not really knowing what I wanted to be, um, or what I wanted to do when I, when I was growing, when I grew up and still not really knowing even as I went away to college and even as I began this career in music, still not really knowing who I was or what I wanted to be. Um, you know, a lot of people, I know for a lot of people, they say, yo, I, this all I ever wanted to do, ever wanted to be, but that wasn't it for me. I kind of fell into this. Um, I always had a love for music and I always had a love for writing, but I kind of fell into being an artist in a group and like it, it all happened. It was a whirlwind for me. And, and so for me, the things that I wanted to do, I still want to do some of them. I've been able to do a few, but still want to break generational cycles or curses. Still want to do things that I promised myself I would do, you know, for my mother. Um, you know, when I, when I went away to school, once again, th these are things I wanted to do even when I thought I was going to be a teacher. So, um, so that's kind of what that song was just understanding, even though I didn't grow up without, so to speak, um, I still saw we were without, you know, without a doubt. Um, but, you know, I, I told my mom the other day, I, I told her, it's not like, it's not like we, you know, we're in the best position, but you made sure we didn't feel like we were ever less than anybody, no matter what you had to do. And um, and that's kind of what that song represented was just me seeing or understanding things weren't, you know, all, you know, silver spoonish and wanting to do something about that and but not knowing how I was going to do it how I was going to get to that destination, but knowing where I wanted to go though. Mm. You, you say you fell into it. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like beating their head against walls, trying to get in. So how, how did you fall into it? Man, I just being in the right place at the right time, <laughs> uh, divine time. And, um, you know, I, I say, I say in uh, one of them songs, I can't remember. Uh, I think it's God's grace. You know, I thought I was headed down to ODU, plans change in CCU, mm -hmm. come along for the ride. And that's like literally within a week, I went from going to Old Dominion University to going down to North Carolina Central. Never seen Central, never heard of Central, never been to Durham. The only thing I knew about Durham was the Durham Bulls movie. And I'm in Durham, North Carolina, in, in Duke. And then I'm in Durham, North Carolina at a school I didn't even consider. It was never on my radar. And that was God's timing. You know what I mean? Being in, I stayed in a, uh, a Marriott hotel for half of my first semester on campus. Wow. And because dorms weren't ready, they didn't have enough dorms for all the students that had enrolled. And so when I finally got on campus, excuse me, I ended up being on the hallway where I had four RAs. 
and three of them RAs became, or two of them RAs became, or three of them became really, really, really good friends, right? One of them ended up being a groomsman in my wedding. But the RA room who I went in, I just happened to be in there one day and we're talking music and Fonte walks in mm-hmm. and I meet Fonte. And so just, just how things came together, even how little brother came together, you know, a uh, few months before Tay told me, you know, we would, we wouldn't, he didn't see us as a duo and I end up coming, you know, going down to Charlotte, working on myself, working on things that he pointed out that I need to work on, came back and came back, was coming back over the summer recording, but happened to be at the studio today, Fonte, Median, and Knife was supposed to record a song and Median didn't show up. And that song was Speed. So the, the, the divine timing, man, all this was divine timing for me. Mm. That's when I say I fell into it, I fell into it. You know what I'm saying? I was I was at the right place at the right time every time. That's dope. That's dope. <laughs> yeah. You know, so on changing again, you talk about the cost of doing business with no OGs. You know, that mm-hmm. line hit me. You know, so what what types of wisdom would you have passed down to artists who have come after you? A lot, man. Um, first, please, 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 you you gotta you gotta have a good idea who you are. Um if you don't have a good idea who you are in this business, people can set you up to be anything they need you to be, you know, most of the time for their benefit. Um, you know, knowing who you are or having an idea who you are, at least your values and your morals will prevent you from being taken advantage of. Um, understanding who you, who you want to be, even if you're not there yet, allows you to stand on your stand your ground you know when that when somebody's asking you to do some silly shit you know what i'm saying so um you know those are those are the first things you know when i work with young guys we have conversations about what their goals are it's not about what i want it's about what they want what they see for themselves and then i challenge them on certain things like do you really want this or do you you want this because somebody told you you're supposed to have it this way. Um, and we have those conversations. I think people may believe, you know, when I work with guys, it's like, oh, you trying to mold people to be like you or have the career you have. Hell nah, I want them to be light years ahead of me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want them to be more than I ever could have been. Um, it doesn't matter what type of music you make. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't matter to me. It's do you have talent? Do you have work ethic? Do you want to continue to work at your craft? Uh, none of us are in our final form. Uh, we're all still learning. Um, and so all those things are important to me uh, as I'm working with an artist. And, you know, we just we just have conversations about life because knowing, for me, knowing what they want out of life kind of tells me what they really want out of their career without them having to spell it out for me. Mm. You know, it's interesting you say that about not trying to make them into one mold and especially not molding them after yourself. Cause you also talk about on that song labels being one big gang with different factions. You know, can you, can you talk more about that? Were you hearing the same things from everyone else? You know, were they trying to make you guys into something that you weren't? 
not necessarily trying to make us into something we weren't, but after you talk to, you know, different labels or so many labels, you start to notice you're hearing the same things just from different faces, different voices. And, you know, a lot of the processes are similar. Um, a lot of the fluff is similar. And, you know, you just you just start to learn like, okay, this may say this, this label may be called this, this label may be called that, but at the end of the day, y'all all pretty much the same. Like, it's, it's not really a big difference. Um, you know, it, it's the people, it's really, it's about the people that work at the label. And I'm not talking about the president and the vice president. I'm talking about the, you know, the project managers, the, you know, people of that ilk, the A&Rs, what, what type of people are they really determines the type of label it is. But at the top, they all the same. Mm-hmm. And when you're taking the meetings, you're normally meeting with people at the top. You're not meeting with the project managers, the A&Rs and, and, and them folks. So you kind of, you know, a lot of times once they get to that point, they're pretty much machines, you know what I mean? And, and they're kicking the same spiel. They're just, they just got a different label on their name tag. And that's kind of what that represented. And I found that out. I learned that quickly. You know, I was 23, 24 years old and we're, we're taking these meetings and, you know, I said, we're meeting with Tom Wiley. We're meeting with Peter Thea. We're meeting with, you know, uh, Chris Lighty. We're meeting with these people. And, and I'm just like, man, yeah. Like, okay. A lot of this is the same. It's just mm-hmm. a different name on the building. Mm-hmm. Okay. At that point, it's just like, who do I trust more to, to follow through? And like I said in the song, we wanted to roll with Jive because of Chris Lighty. We understood his pedigree. Mm-hmm. We knew where he came from. He understood who we were and where we came from. And it just made too much sense. But it was, and you say in the song too, it was ultimately another party that wanted to retain the masses. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was at the end of the day, it was up to uh Benny B. We were signed to ABB. And um he had he had the choice. He had the final say. So although we were taking these meetings he got to pretty much decide where we went. And for him, Jive was out because Jive wanted to clear the samples and reissue the listening, which meant he no longer owned it. Mm. And he wasn't giving that up. Um, and then Atlantic also allowed him to retain vinyl rights to um, whatever projects we put out through Atlantic as long as he was a part of them. So uh, he went when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply with the best business decision for him. And that was to go towards Atlantic. Well, and shout out to you guys for getting the album back. And I know I can't imagine how much that means to you, but I know with Jay-Z getting reasonable doubt, like to own your first has to be a special feeling. Absolutely. Um, You know, and at the end of the day, I mean, you want, you want your first, I mean, I would, I would love to have had the money I was owed as well, (laughs) but to have the album, 
I can go make my own money off the album. So um, that, that meant a lot. I mean, for us, you know, we went on that campaign and, um, you know, I know a lot of people were probably like, oh, just go get a lawyer, go do this. Like, man, we had all that. Like, sometimes you got to make a little bit more noise and us making that noise allowed us to, at this point, we own everything except for the mystery show. So, um, that, that campaign, we, we was on the cleanup campaign. A lot of, a lot of what we did was quiet. Mm. Um, but we just had to get loud when it came to getting back to listening. What's so interesting to me is, you know, I listened to this album to dream in color multiple times, probably 10 times before I read something that a lot of these recordings were actually, you know, we talking about babies, they started six years ago. You had, you had begun kind of recording some demos in 2006. Um, can you speak about the process of revisiting something and deciding that, okay, now's the time? Uh, well, the, the actual songs weren't from 2006. The, 16, I'm sorry. I mean, 20, 2016, the idea for the album was from 2016. I, I actually started over, completely over. Um, so all those songs that I started in 2016, I still have them. Um, I, I didn't use none of the lyrics. I didn't use none of the beats. Um, but I think starting over allowed me to approach the album in the proper way. Um, going back and listening to them songs, they're, they're, they're good songs, but I think the time, the, the maturity, the distance allowed me a different perspective where I could, I could actually, I could see the lessons in some of them things I was going through versus when, when it's still fresh, you, you, you don't understand, you know, the lessons that, or the lesson to be learned from, from something. So what ended up happening for me was I started to understand, you know, so like when I made LS 400, that was a song about confidence when I made um, One Day and Then Why, that was a song about anxiety, performance anxiety, you know. So I, I started to understand more of what I was writing about versus just writing. And I think that's kind of what taking that time did for me. And also, I, I, I'm a better writer. Like, I, I improve. So from 2016 to 2021, 2022, I'm a much better writer. So I was able to to really... um write better songs because of that time uh that time that it took me from when i started the idea to when i actually decided to to complete it you say you're a much better writer in 2022 why is that what, what happened over those six years that, that helped to develop your writing uh, a few things well one life <laughs> but two um when i did rpm with focus uh you know i i always said and, and I told Focus this, that was without that album, you don't have the version of me that ended up on Made a Little Watch. Um, I was in a rut. And what Focus did to get me out of that rut, I don't even know if he knew I was in a rut, but what he did to get me out of that rut was he gave me different challenges on that album. And what those challenges did was it forced me to approach song writing differently than just sitting down hearing the beat and attacking it like I had to think about the challenge as opposed to just attacking the beat 
one of them songs on RPM, I didn't even write to a beat. Like I wrote to a click track. Um, so that helped me approach songs differently. And then when we got into Made a Little Watch, Fonte told me a story that um, the late uh, Rich, uh, shoot, man, what was what was the manager's, uh, with the Roots manager? Yeah, Rich Nichols. Rich Nichols. Um, forgive me, uh, forgot his last name, but the late Rich Nichols, uh, when, when Fonte was doing Roots, was recording with the Roots, doing sessions with him, Rich Nichols told him something about uh, writing. And he was like, you know, I like to see, I like to see what an MC wrote because this, these are works of art. This is literature. And I like to read it. And that lets me know if it's really good or not when I, when I can read it. And I've really thought about that. Like that really resonated with me and hit home. And it forced me to really think about what I was doing as pieces of literature versus writing raps. And that's how I approached things on Made a Little Watch. And that's how I approached things on To Dream of Color. That's so interesting. You know, um, well, first of all, I work with, with Tay at QLS in addition to, you know, my duties here. And I was so happy to watch you guys as somebody who had interviewed you both together to come back together from May the Lord Watch. And you'd speak about it on Surround Sound. Um, but I know after the passing of Fife, you know, compelled you to pick up the phone and speak both of you mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you mentioned fight as we talk about improvement um back in 2016 um ambrosia for heads we did a 25th anniversary retrospective of low end theory and a lot of hip-hop heads know that that's the album where fife went from you know somebody who was very much part of tribe but figuring himself out to arguably being the best mc on that particular album all respect due to tiff and, you know, I think you did something very similar in Minstrel Show and you talked about it. I mean, there's there's songs on there like The End of Watch Me and Sincerely Yours and Still Lives Through. And you just speak about improving right now. I'm curious, like, what's the process like when you know you're in a rut like you're talking about and going in and getting those reps in and coming back razor sharp? Man, it's like uh, it's like going to the gym and putting up shots, um, you know. I just, for me, I just, my motto has always been, I wanted people to hear the improvement each time they heard me. So if you, you heard me today, if I give you something tomorrow, I want to be better than I was the day before. Mm -hmm. And that's very important to me. So, um, you know, even though I was in a rut, like the thing about it, even though I was in a rut, like, you're I'm always working right I'm always doing things even if it's in my head I got little notes little voice recordings so I'm always working and always crafting but the process of putting together full songs or full albums I just wasn't doing because I just wasn't motivated so for me I, I think I'm always practicing some way I may not be putting up shots I may be doing defensive slides I may be you know, working on my passing, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I'm always doing something just because I'm very, it's like, I want to beat the man in the mirror more than I'm focused on beating anybody else. Uh, you know, I want to listen to old records and cringe because I'm hearing things that I could have done better. 
Um, even though I didn't know any better at the time, I, I want to be able to do that when I listen to records. And if I can't do that, then I'm not, I'm not, pro- I'm not progressing. I'm not improving. So that's just something, a mentality I've always had since the beginning. And I try to keep it, whether I'm going through a rut, uh, you know, downtime, whatever you want to call it. I still think about ways of improving. Like even now, like I I can listen to to Dream in Color, and I believe that's my best work to date. But it's still things that I want to improve on that I feel I didn't do necessarily on that album. Hmm. Well, the album is is super tight. You know, it's ten songs, thirty minutes. There's no fat on it at all. You know, so was that a conscious decision to keep it short, or just the way things turned out? It's kind of how they turned out. Um, I had a couple other tracks planned and, and, you know, do the different things. It just didn't work out, but I, I had another beat that I loved um, that I just couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with it. And at, at that point I knew I was done. Like I knew I had exhausted all the ideas that I had for this album and there was no more ideas to come. So that's when I said, okay, time to put the pen down and, and start working on post. Uh and, and shout out to Fonte. He came in to sequence the album for me. Um, it, it was funny. I had, you know, idea of a sequence that I wanted. And I didn't tell him. I just told him what I wanted to be first and what I wanted to be last. And when he sent it back, it was totally, completely different from what I would have, you know, put. And, and so we talked about it and I asked him, I said, yeah, man, I was, I was thinking more chronological. Um you know, kind of how the songs play out. He said, nah, he said, the music tells you where to put, where to put it. Chronologically, it doesn't matter. It's the musical idea that matters. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when I heard his sequence, I was like, this is perfect. Even though it wasn't what I had thought in my mind, it was still perfect the way everything flowed into each other. And, um, you know, that's something Tay and I have gotten a lot better at you know, one of the things Tay and I have gotten a lot better at is being efficient. We're very efficient when we record. Uh, it's not a lot of fat. We don't, we don't do fat. We don't do practice shots. Uh, we, we shoot, we shoot, aim and shoot the kill. You know what I'm saying? And um, like I said, on this one, it was two other tracks that I had wanted to, to add that I just couldn't get finished for different reasons, but it still would have sounded just as tight you know, with those two other records as it does with the 10. You don't miss it, obviously, because you don't even know what they are or what they would have been, but it still feels like a complete idea, and that was the whole point. Was I just want my albums to sound like a complete idea, whether that's 10 tracks, 12 tracks, 15 tracks, 13 tracks, it doesn't matter. As long as the idea is complete, then the project is complete. So that's always fascinating to me how albums are sequenced. You know, so when you say... You, you let the music dictate it. You know, you're talking B, BPMs, you're talking keys, you're talking the, 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 the lyrical content. Like, what is it that dictates, you know, one song follows another? Uh, I can't speak for Fonte. Um, but for me, typically, when I sequence, it's a feeling. Um, it's what feels right. After, like, what song feels right following the previous song um and I, I take the same approach with a show um as i'm putting my show together it's about what feels right like 
how do I want the show to flow? And does this fit the feeling that I have for the show? And that's kind of how I, I judge it typically. Um, this album was a little different for me because I, I I was hearing it in chronological order. So it would have started with Dreaming of Color and then I would have went into God's Grace because that's that's kind of me at the beginning. And then, you know, so I would have I would have had it kind of in that order. Um because I didn't want it. I was like, man, it's gonna be weird if you got, you know, this song about. You know, if you take the current order, it's like this song about me meeting with labels. And then three songs later, you got this song about me growing up. And then like I always felt I I thought that would feel weird. Um, Whereas Tay just took the approach that we typically take. And that's letting the feel of the music decide what flows into the next song versus worrying about the content and what I'm talking about. So I was like, well, shit, if we turned it into a Quentin Tarantino flick, (laughs) 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 the the story is there. It's just out of order. (laughs) Yeah. You ever resequence albums by by other artists like, you know, that that you just like? uh, No, I I don't get into resequencing albums. I just I I like to hear how they how they present it, Um, especially if the artist is giving me, you know, if, if it's a if it's a. I don't want to say vibe. If it's a a concept, I kind of I kind of take it for what it is because they they have it that way for a reason, and I want to listen to it the way that I'm supposed that it was presented to me, hmm. and and I kind of leave it at that. I don't, I don't do a lot of resequencing. I'm the same way. Reggie likes to play God and remix them all. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I, I don't I don't get into that. I I just <laughs> I, I I consume it the way it was it was presented to me and. You know, I can always hit that skip button if need to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, on this album, you know, Thoughts and Prayers, which is on the Ambrosia for Heads playlist right now, it's is really, I think, for Reggie and I both, one of our favorite songs individually. And in it, you know, you weigh peace against prosperity. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, you know, which of those is more valuable to you today or are they hand in hand? Peace. Mm-hmm. I want my peace. Um what good is all the riches in the world if you ain't got peace? Um, and, you know, that song, the funny thing about that song, I know even I was like, man, this doesn't even really fit the theme of what I'm doing here, but I, it was just something that was on my mind and heart when I when I started working on it. And um it was just one of them songs where I, I, I really was just like, man, I'm every time a tragedy happens, somebody say thoughts and prayers. And it's like, that really don't do shit. Like, what does that do? That doesn't do anything. And, and so that was my thing. It was just like, what do I pray for? You mm. know? And, and these are the things I pray for. And um, yeah, that was just one of, I just had, I just wanted to vent. And and that's how that track came about. Like it wasn't really no rhyme or reason to it. It was just me venting. And and I, I thought about putting the second verse on there and and like I did the first where everything was pray, pray, pray. I was gonna do that with thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. But I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a, that's gonna be overkill. <laughs> I I like though that in the chorus you kind of use you kind of weaponize thoughts and prayers. And you know, I think we see a lot of that sentiment in the news, especially on 
issues pertaining to injustice and gun violence of like, I'm not really going to do anything, but I'm going to give you thoughts and prayers. Right. In writing at least the chorus part of it, I know you, you said you had the concept. Was there was there like a, a moment where you're like, oh, this, I'm, I'm fed up, I've had enough, this is my chorus, and, and this is the moment why? Uh, yeah, I mean, so when I, I gave it to my DJ, DJ Skills, um, who did the cuts on there, when I when I went and played it for him, I said, look, man, this 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 the joint. It's gonna be an interlude. I want you to go crazy. I want you to use my vocals from the song. The thing was, I didn't tell him which parts to use. I, I just right right after my verse, I had that idea. I was like, thought 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 thoughts and prayer. Like I had that idea. The rest of that was all him. <laughs> like okay. when I got it back, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like okay, <laughs> like you, you, you really, you really went crazy with it, and um, yeah, it was just that thing of like you said, like that's why I ended it the way I ended it. It's like, yeah, I, I just said all of this stuff, and then all I'm gonna give you is these thoughts and prayers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, we were talking about resequencing albums a minute ago, and an artist who actually i think intentionally tries to get people to resequence his albums is kendrick lamar absolutely you know um and you know you talk about prosperity on this versus you know um peace and on rich spirit on you know big step mr Ron and big steppers he talks about how thoughts and prayers go way better off timelines mm -hmm. now you take it further like uh you know he's saying listen he still believes in thoughts and prayers, but actually do it and don't be public about it. You know what right. I mean? Are you saying that you don't believe in thoughts and prayers at all or just that the phrases become empty over time? It's the phrases become empty. Um, you know, a lot of phrases have become empty. That's that's just the one I, I got stuck on. Uh, you know, I have a policy that if I know you and we communicate, via text phone call whatever i won't tell you happy birthday on social media right <laughs> i just i refuse to do it like i'm not gonna make a big announcement because it's your i'm gonna call you or text you um if if something is happening in your life i'm gonna call or text you or at the very worst dm you like i don't use social media to make these you know statements if you will and i i think that's what kendrick was getting that was like let's let's live in the real world and and that's kind of what my thing is it's like yeah i pray for people all the time but i don't make announcements about it <laughs> you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like i don't i don't make hey guys guess what today i pray for such and such you know what i'm saying it's i just do it i just do it in the real world and and that's and that's kind of what kind of what that song is it's like let's get back to the real world people like the internet is cool it made the world smaller it made you be able to connect with people from all over the world but let's get back to to being present in the real world and and that's you know that's and obviously that's coming from somebody who i'm not a big social media guy you know i i, I have to be on there kind of for what i do but i'm i'm really not on there a lot <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i'll say my piece and i'm gone you know, and and I, and I kind of think that's that's really what that song represented is like, yo, be present in the world and not online. 
So, you know, as we talk about KDOT, you know, 2011 was a, was I, I consider his breakthrough year. And in the middle of that, you know, Section 80 was one of those albums where I remember where I was the first time I heard it. Very similar to the listening, like being introduced to Big Pooh's voice. Um, a few months ahead of that, you know, you had Kendrick guested on, you know, Rapper Poolude on, on Fatboy Fresh Volume 1. He was on there calling himself the 2010 Cool G Rap, which is a great line, as was Absol. Can you speak about what drew you to the to them both? Because, you know, I know you're in management and all of that, but that's a that's a tremendous ear and eye for talent before the hype was there. Um, I wish I could take credit for it, man. Um, Dave Free actually reached out to us via MySpace. Um, and he he was reaching out to us about working with J Rock at the time. J Rock was signed to Warner still. Mm-hmm. And I went and checked them out because I was the person who answered the MySpace quest, uh, inboxes. And I like what I heard. Like, I'm a big West Coast guy, and he's from the West Coast. He sounded very West Coast. And I, I, I was like, yeah, I, I like this. So I hit him. I reached back. And I ended up going out to L.A., uh, me and Big Doe, who was managing uh, me and Little Brother at the time, ended up going out to L.A. And when I went out there, I went to Carson. I pulled up and I'm thinking I'm just meeting Dave Free and J Rock. I end up meeting Kendrick uh, and uh, a few other folks. I met Willie B. I didn't meet Absol at the time, but they had played uh, still one of my favorite records, Ab for President. Mm. And, and you know, and you know, I'm just talking, I'm hearing them. I'm like, oh my God, like y'all got something crazy brewing out here. And so when I came home, I was working on a project at the time with Young RJ. And um, the song ended up, ended up becoming nothing less. But originally, I sent it for Absol to get on it. So when Dave Free sent it back, it had Absol, Kendrick, and J Rock. And he said, "Yo, I'm sorry, Pooh. I just I just wanted to put everybody on there." I said, "What are you sorry for? <laughs> did you did you hear what they sent back?" And at that point, because I knew Kendrick was the guy who's over there working on the hooks and things of that nature. But we just developed a relationship and, you know, we went back and forth. Like I did the Thanksgiving record for Kendrick. I did the regular nigga record for Abso. Then we did Rapper Pulu and then um, Schoolboy Q ended up coming in the fold and we did a record, uh, Fuck Your Hip Hop with Murs. And then um, me and Ab did another record. But it was just one of them things where I knew I didn't know what they were going to become. But I knew it was something special there because you can you could feel it. Mm. You could you could feel it like the want to be great, the want to be special, it was there. And like I said, I could I I, I couldn't predict what was gonna be, but I knew they were gonna end up being something. And I didn't even know it was gonna be Kendrick, like. That was going to end up, I thought it was going to be Ab. I'm like, yo, he got the hair. He got the the Lupe slash Jay-Z thing going when he rapped. Like, and then boom, out of nowhere, Kendrick explodes. And it's like, oh, this is crazy. I still need to talk to Kendrick about them cutting me out of that um, high power video. <laughs> I had a, I had a shot in there. They cut me out of that video. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I remember back in the day, you know, talking to Interscope execs who I won't name, who told me that they thought Schoolboy Q was going to be bigger than Kendrick. You know, I saw both of them 
at SOBs, Kendrick did it first and then, then, then Q did it. And they were like, nah, man, this guy, he's about to be out of here. So shout out to all of them. They all had, have had great successful careers, you know? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so on, on what else? You start with a quote about dreaming dreams and then manning up and living those dreams. Mm-hmm. And then I think you attributed it to Combat Jack. Was that actually a Combat Jack quote? That was a Combat Jack quote. That was that was a quote he said. I think he said at the end of every um, episode of the Combat Jack show. And it was actually when the producer sent praise, sent it over to me, it was Combat Jack. Yeah. But I didn't have enough time to clear it with his family. So I just said it and then you know, made sure I, I, I attributed that to him as, you know, as his, it wasn't mine. And, and then I went into the song, but it just represented so much of what this album was about. And I, I was like, I gotta have it. Even if I can't have it the way it was originally sent to me, I have to have it on here. Shout out to Reggie, man. I, I knew Reggie um, when he was, had his law firm. Uh, we worked together at MTV mm-hmm. and it was great. He was a guy who actually did follow his man up and follow his dreams, you know, to, to go from being a lawyer to being a respected and successful, um, you know, on air personality is, is, you know, pretty impressive. So what does it what does it take? What does it mean to you to man up and go after what you want? Don't make excuses. I have discipline. Um, take that leap every time. It's, it's, it's scary. It's tough, but you got to take that leap every time. And that's what manning up and living those dreams are. You, you have these ideas, you know, whether you write them down or, or, or you just have them in your mind. And a lot of people fear prevents them from, you know, pursuing those dreams. And manning up is whether you're a man or woman or you, you know, classify yourself as something else. Manning up and living those dreams is not being afraid to fail because the only time you fail is when you don't man up and, and, and chase those dreams. Mm. Failing is not trying. Mm. Um, everything else is just lessons. And what's it mean to dream in color? Manning up and living those dreams. Mm. That's dreaming in color. When them thoughts become things. When you take action on them things, that's now you're dreaming in color. Anything else is just black and white. Mm-hmm. Word. So you've expanded to management in recent years, including Loot and Black Soul. But at the same time, in those recent years, you've made some of the best music of your career. Um, you know, I know, you're a pretty avid sports fan, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I like I liken it to player coach. Like you're you're doing both things. Um, and, you know, I know as an artist, you offer wisdom and perspective to your artists, but does being a manager ever, like, affect your creativity? Well, um, I'm more A&R than I am a manager. Uh, okay. I have um, Big Doe, as far as Lou's concerned, Big Doe handles most of his day-to-day um, on the business side, and I, I handled um, A&R, his album, uh, Gold Mouth. Uh, with Black Soul, that was more an arrangement. Um, that's my partner. That's my brother. And that was more of an arrangement just to help him, you know, get some of the things done he wanted to get done um, and, and get into some rooms that he couldn't, at the time, he couldn't necessarily get into on his own. So having my backing and my and my reputation, you know, behind him, you know, helped him in, in some way. But those guys, man, they helped me. Um, more than they probably will ever know 
and that's just their energy and their you know the way they they got after it you know before you know they were jaded any <laughs> from from the industry but that energy was infectious and mm-hmm. um anytime I get to work with young guys, that energy is infectious. And it's not like a leech thing where I'm, you know, soaking up their energy, but it's just being able to be around them and see how, you know, it reminds you of how you used to approach things before you became jaded, before you knew too much, before you got to see behind the curtain, um, you know, that energy that they have. And, you know, and then also working with them allowed me to be creative in a different way. Um, you know, it's like on Luda album, you know, I, I did a lot on that album that I didn't necessarily take credit for because it wasn't about that. It was about getting the best album that we could get. Um, so I would come in after he leave. I'll go in with the producer and the engineer and um, my guy, Jay Smash, and we'll sit there and we'll rearrange stuff. We'll move stuff. We'll, you know, you know, add stuff and, and do different things. And a lot of things I was doing, he didn't even know that was, that was me in there Mm. Um, because it wasn't about that. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it was about getting the best, the best version of him that we could get at the time. And, and that was exciting for me. Um, That was different, but it was exciting. And it allowed me, or it showed me that I could do it. Like I knew I could do it for myself, but being able to transfer that, onto somebody else was something that I wasn't necessarily confident that I could do. I, I believed I could do it, but to actually show myself I could do it, uh, that was a liberating feeling. Um, so shout out to Luke for, you know, trusting me. Um, Cause he didn't have to, you yeah. know, he, he, he didn't have to trust me at all. He is huge. Shout out to Luke. And I mean, he's become, you know, as far as AFH, not only one of our favorite artists, you know, within Dreamville, but in hip hop period, you know, the last two albums. And, and I'm, you know, we hope to have him on this podcast someday, but was there a specific song that made you feel as though, you know, it was worth your investment of your time and your expertise that you heard where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm bought in. Uh, nah, I mean, I, the thing I, I've known Luke since uh, 2012. And, you know, he did a few features for me early on before, you know, we were working in this capacity, but he showed a lot of trust and faith in me early, you know, and, and then the the faith and trust he showed in me by even wanting me to be his manager. You know what I mean? Like when I hadn't managed anybody at the time, and this is with him, I didn't even know, but this is with him already knowing that j cole basically was hot on his tail you know what i'm saying like you know a lot of people ask me like yo that was you who did that no i didn't do that um i walked into a situation where when i when i came in and and he told cole that i was managing him then the paperwork was presented but that wasn't because i did anything it was because okay i think for cole it was okay he got somebody you know, behind them now that I know, know what it is, but you know, the, the admiration and respect that Cole had for him, he got on his own. Uh, but I think when I heard, when I first heard him and I heard his voice and I heard what he was doing and I heard how, found out how young he was at the time. 
I was amazed. And then to understand that he was doing this, him and his friends were doing this, and and basically it was like the blind leading the blind. I knew I was like, yo, if he get somebody behind him that just understands what they're doing, how much further he could go, or how much more uh, advanced he can become as a songwriter and as an artist, and that's where my mind was was like man if he if he gets somebody behind him and i wouldn't even think about me at the time right but i was like if he gets somebody behind him that know what they're doing oh man the sky's the limit for that kid and and so it was it was when i first heard him it was off the west 96 uh his first take the mixtape yeah 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 he is uh he's one of my favorite artists of the last five years just hands down you know voice penetrates like you said his flow is crazy the content is there he's, he's a total package in my opinion you know um another one of those guys who like i put up there is his label mate jit you know um yeah, got, yeah. i'm repping that you know today absolutely um you know and so we talked about tde and the movement they built but what can you say about dreamville you know a label that's got you know those two guys earth gang you know cause boss i mean just stacked with talent what do you think about the movement they built man it's beautiful man uh you know the one thing i can say man i appreciate cole for signing artists and allowing his artists to be themselves and find their way um and and always encouraging them to be them and and create from the heart and from the soul and and that's what they that's what they champion and foster over at Dreamville. And, and that's beautiful because when you have somebody in a position that Cole's in and, you know, with a roster, you, you, you know, you want a, I need them hits. Most of the times I need them hits with them hits at, but he, he, he has allowed his artists to really find their way organically. And that's beautiful, man. I, I will always, I mean, I have respect for him anyway, but I will always have, you know, a ton of respect for Cole for that because, you know, forming a label and, and having your label at a major label, you know, that's normally you're chasing, you're chasing the carrot mm. and, and and he doesn't have his artist chasing the carrot. And I can, I, I really respect that. Mm. I really respect that. When you contrast that with those experiences in New York, you were talking about and all those different companies that we know as hip hop fans and think are different offering the same thing. Does it, you know, does it ever make you frustrated in contrast to LV's label experiences? Nah, um, our experience was our experience. Um, always say, you know, you can look back and, and, and wish you did certain things or some things differently, but at the end of the day, those experiences make you who you are, you know, at this moment. And those experiences allow me to see what I wanted and what I didn't want. And, you know, so I'm always thankful, man. I, I, you know, obviously, you know, you wish some things turned out differently, but like I said, them being what they were allowed me to be who I am today. And without, without that, you know, ain't no telling where I would be or who I would be. So, you know, you mentioned um, that you guys have a documentary coming out in 2023. I saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. It looks it looks dope. I want to see it. I, and I saw um, a short film. I can't remember who did it. I think it was maybe North Carolina, like um, educational. Oh, the arts. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw yeah. those parts like a couple of years ago, too. So is it called May the Lord Watch? 
the documentary is gonna be called Made a Little Watch. Okay. Um so y'all had but, the album, y'all had the album uh, of that title a year or so ago. That's the last time we spoke. Right. Ninth wasn't part of that. Is he part of the documentary? Uh you'll see. Um <laughs> you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna give too much away. Uh okay. you know, um it's it's one of them things, uh, you know, I tell people without saying too much about the doc at this at this time is it's going to answer a lot of questions um, that people may have, but it's not going to get so deep in the weeds that um, somebody who's just discovering Little Brother for the first time via the documentary will be lost. Um, so, you know, we're not going in depth with, yeah, so when we was working on the mystery show and then we got to this song and then we went here and we did this, like, it's, it's not it's not necessarily going to be that, um, but it's still going to answer a lot of questions for the little brother fans. And then, like I said, it's going to be a good introduction for those who may be discovering little brother for the first time. Okay. So, you know, we're fans of you and the group, you know, and you mentioned a lot on the album or a few times, I should say the rift, you know, um, do you think it can ever be repaired? Nah. Uh, well, let me, let me answer this correctly. The rift we at this point we just understand who who each other are and and it is it's going to be what it's going to be um you know f- from made a little watch forward little brother is a duo and it will be a duo um it will not be a trio again um and so that's that's kind of what it is um you know yeah. i know people or not everybody but some people like oh man i want to you know little brother you know with nine product like that's that's not gonna happen um we're, we're beyond that but it's not like you know if i see him it's gonna be furniture moving like it's not that type of thing um it's just we just you know i have a clear we have a clear understanding of who each other who, who we are and you know we decided that it was best for us to do our thing over here and he do his thing over there yeah well, I mean, y'all all have made great music independently, you know, so yeah, you and Fonte were on the outs for a bit too, but but how did y'all mend your relationship? Talking, man. Um, you know, like when 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 Fife passed and I reached out, you know, I had to I had to, you know, set my ego and pride to the side and um we got on the phone and, and I think the thing that Tay and I did was we put everything on the table. Like we didn't, we didn't skip over anything. Um, and, and, and we, even at first, and, and it wasn't like it was just one conversation. It was, it was constant, you know, conversations about things, just, you know, talking about things that happened and why they happened and, and, and where I, where we was and, you know, mentally at the time. And, um, and then just understanding, you know, as we started going forward and working on made a little watch, just understanding who we, who we are today, you know, you, you gotta, I think that was a thing that we didn't do early was take the time to really understand who each other was. And, you know, without that, it leaves a lot of room for misinterpretation. Um, so like I tell people all the time, I, I like to understand who you are and how you think, not because I want to convince you to agree with me or that you're going to convince me to agree with you. It just allows me to understand 
how you process things and why you make the decisions you make. So for me, that's the biggest thing. Like I didn't understand who Tay was at his core when we were younger. So a lot of decisions he made confused me or they befuddled me. And I'm pretty sure it was the same way for him. But as we worked on Made a Little Watch and we really got to know each other and understand each other, we don't have those same problems. And we also have an open line of communication where it's not, I'm not afraid of stepping on his toes or offending him. Uh, it's, you know, if I, if I see something, I say something and vice versa. Um, or if I have an issue, I, I, I express it like, Hey man, you know, this, 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 or, you know, or if one of us feel we may have stepped on somebody's toes, we immediately, Hey, um, you know, I didn't mean this, this way or whatever. And so we have that understanding now, as we've gotten to know each other, really gotten to know each other versus when we were younger, we were just, we just had a common general goal and you know it, it was working out the way it was working out and we were bonded by the experience of going through this thing together now we're bonded by knowing who each other are hmm. so you know you talked earlier about how time sharpens your 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 pen you know uh, i think it helps to sharpen understanding sometimes too and perspective on things oh too. yeah oh yeah man that that time is you know, maturity, um, it, it definitely allows you to understand things a different uh, from a different perspective yeah. as you get older. And, and and it allows you to, I say, slow down uh, mentally. Uh, you start to see things in slow motion versus when you're young, everything is coming at the speed of light. Uh, but when you get older, it's like the, it's like the game slow down for you. It's like an NBA vet. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I can see I can see five moves five moves ahead now. When I was younger, I couldn't, I just only saw what was right in front of me. I saw the play in front of me. That's it. Um, so now, you know, you, you know, you just you kind of you're not in a rush, you know, you have a better understanding and, and you're more solid. So, so you know, we talked about um the labels experience you had back then too, you know, and how they were uniform. You're hearing the same thing from everyone. But at the time, there was very little choice. It was kind of like the major way it was really, really hard path to, to be independent. Now it's a totally different story. You know, you got all sorts of options, digital, you can go straight to Spotify, whatever you need for your distribution. How do you, do you think it would have changed things for little brother? The story would have been different had you guys come out now versus when you did? Yeah. Um, well, no, well, it would have been different, but I don't think in a good way. Um, I think coming out when we did, uh, it allowed us to cut through, um, in a way that I don't think would be capable now because it's so much, um, we were at, we were at the forefront of being discovered on the internet. And while that didn't turn us into quote unquote superstars, if you will, it allowed us it allowed us to cut through a lot of noise because it was like who's this group from North Carolina that people are talking about on the internet and that's what got us into a lot of 
meetings and a lot of rooms because people were curious where now it's different. Like, yeah, you can get discovered on the internet, but you got to go viral or you got to, you know, have your numbers going crazy, whether by hook or crook. Um, and, and, you know, just all those things that we're not about. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it, I, I think now would be way different for us. I think we would probably have a harder time now getting heard through all of the noise versus back then. Plus we came at a time when we came out, it was, it was after the raucous era. So we were too late to be mentioned with the qualities and the most deaths and the commons and, you know, the roots and, and all those guys, but we helped open the door for the Kendricks for, you know, the J Coles and, and so forth. And so the Wale's and so forth and so on. So, um, you know, we just came at a place where we were too early and too late at the same time. But like I said, it still allowed us to cut through. I agree with you, too. And I mean, pun intended, but like you came in an era where there was time for, for the listening, you know, like where people bought CDs and that was the one CD you had in your car and your disc man. Right. And that makes a difference. Like, yep. I think the connection people have to your lyrics um, collectively and individually that's just a different era. And that was a cool era, you know? Absolutely. I mean, they 20 years later, coming up on 20 years later, they still, you know, people are still getting put on to the listening. They're still talking about the listening. They're still discovering things about the listening. And that's a beautiful thing to, to, to see and, and a beautiful thing to be a part of. And like I said, I, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. So one of the more interesting trends right now in hip hop is this kind of walk away from materialism. Like we all want a nice car. We like a nice watch, you know, good, good roof over our heads. But, you know, artists like Jay-Z talking about, you know, on, on story of OJ of what he could have done in Dumbo and, mm-hmm. you know, on down, everyone seems to have their story. And, and you have a song on this album that's really interesting to me, LS 400. You alluded to it a few moments ago. And it's, it's a, again, it's like a complex song because on one hand, you know, it's a, it's a, an ode to a car that, you know, was a luxury car at its time, but then you have like some really interesting kind of emotional sentiments in there where you say, you know, I learned a lot about people when the Lexus got sold. And I know you later mentioned that, you know, you got another foreign that you're also proud of, but can you speak to the impact of that line and the lessons learned from achieving a dream but also realizing something about that dream yeah it's for me it was um not knowing who I was so I and not having confidence in who I was so I believe that I believed that material things would give me the confidence that I didn't have internally and what I realized what I what I came to realize was that's not what happens at all. Right. Mm. You know, you, you can have these things. You can have, like, I had the LS 400, I had jerseys, throwback jerseys and polos and all these things, but I I didn't feel any more confident. You know what I mean? Then, then I did without it. And, and then I realized for me, that wasn't who I was at all. Like I don't wear jewelry to this day. I don't, 
you know, care about having name brand clothes to this day. I don't like none of that stuff really concerns me. That doesn't make me who I am. And and that was that was really what LS 400 represented for me. It was it was realizing that things doesn't make me confident. You know, confidence comes from within, not, you know, from the material things that I possessed. And once I started to realize that, I started to get rid of those material things. Um, because, you know, wh- who who said it? LaRussell. Um, shout out to LaRussell Vallejo. He, somebody asked him, was like, yeah, man, I see you wearing chains or jewels. He was like, I am the jewels. <laughs> And and I, I thought that was so brilliant. And I was like, yeah, that's that's yeah, I am the jewels. So shout out to La Russell for that. That's dope. You know, so on both this album, you know, on the song What Else, and also on May the Lord Watch, I think on Right on Time, you talk about swallowing your pride and driving Uber to pay the bills. Right. You know? Um, so in a world where MCs are bragging about money they don't even actually have, where do you get the courage to keep it all the way real like that? Man, I just wanted to be honest for these for these kids or, you know, the youth coming up, man. And the one thing I realized was that we, and I'm saying we in a general sense, but we praise guys talking about, you know, having to do things or doing things illegally to make money, right? We praise these guys, but when somebody or we find out an artist has a job or, you know, an artist is working, we kind of shame them. And I'm like, that's fucking backwards. You know what I mean? Like you should be cheering for the guy that's going out and, 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 you know, securing an honest living because nothing is guaranteed in this music business. This is the worst, probably the worst business to be a part of, you know what I mean? Nothing is guaranteed. Uh, a lot of these people don't have money that you think they have and they're doing other things, whether legal or illegal to make ends meet. Right. And, and I was like, you know what? I can't be ashamed to talk about what I had to do or what I decided to do in order to make sure my bills were still paid and I still put food on the table. And these young people need to hear that they need to know that it's okay that while you're chasing this dream, while you're following this dream, you go, you got a job, you know, to, to, to make sure, you know, you have a baseline of some sort. That's okay. It's all right. You, you're not, you're not going to decide to be a rapper today and tomorrow, you know, you, you, you work for hundred million, like you lucky if you make it to a hundred thousand, you know, we, I think we're trained to look at all these exceptions and think they're the rule. Um, I, I read something in this, and this is a microcosm for just this industry period, but I read something or somebody told me something about Spotify, how 80% or 70 to 80% of the artists on Spotify only have average 10 monthly listeners, mm. 10, not 10,000, okay. 10. So that means 25 to 20% is the big number guys that we hear, right? But we're told that the big number is that's normal. That's not normal. 
and and I'm I'm trying to break them stereotypes. It's like what you see are those are exceptions. Those are not the rule. What I'm talking about is the rule. <laughs> like and and I and I just I just felt it was important that you know I I, I spoke about that and I expressed that because I've had artists hit me whether in DM or ones that I know text me or when I see them out and they say, yo, man, thank you. Like they've been saying it since right on time. Like, yo, thank you, man. Thank you for telling my story. And it's like, wow. Like, and, and to think I almost took that line out of that. Well, attempted to take that line out of that song. Fonte said he wouldn't allow me to take it out. He didn't let me record something. And then when I heard the album, it would have still been in there because he knew how important it was for people to hear that and he also knew how important it was for me to express that because what it ended up doing was allowing me to be more free and and expressing my truth and now i understand like i was scared like like before that right on time came out i was scared before um to dream and color drop because i was giving so much away but now I understand, like, that's when you know you're on the right path, when you're scared. Like, it, it brought me closer as a listener to you, and it reminded me of that, that news story in the last five years where, the, I can't think of the actor's name, but it played Elvin on the Cosby show, and somebody oh, yeah. snapped a photo of him working at Trader Joe's, and like, ah, ha, ha. And lo and behold, I mean, Ambrosia, we covered the story, Reggie. Not a month later, he was on Billions, you know, because people relate to that. And I'm curious, you know, that was three years ago. You took that chance, you and Fonte, but it was your words, your story on May the Lord Watch. Do you think three years later um, that pressure to keep up appearances is changing in hip hop? A little bit. Um, I think social media kind of, you know, has that going at a snail's pace. <laughs> um you know, because now it's not pressure to keep up appearances in hip hop. It's pressure to keep up appearances on Instagram. Nice. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. you got influencers and, you know, artists and whoever. Um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, my story and, you know, my songs and things that I'm saying is helping to, you know, break them walls down a little bit. You know, I know at least the artists I, I, I talk to and deal with. I tell them, I say, look, man, ain't no shame and going out and you know either get having a job or having a little side hustle like you're not gonna come into this thing making big money you you know you'd be lucky if you ever make big money but you know at least until you don't have to work until somebody's paying you to just work on music man go get that job right like you still gotta live you still gotta eat um you know don't be worried about no chains and no foreigns and and shit like that if you can't put food on your mouth you know what i mean I ain't talking about McDonald's. Well, all this shit is expensive now, but uh, no matter where you eat, it's expensive. But yeah, like, what's imp- what's more important? Looking good for the gram or actually being good in real life? What's more important? And, you know, those are the conversations that I have and I just decide to put them in music form. Even when um, you so-called make it, right? Like, I've always heard that multiple revenue streams is the key to wealth anyway, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting too. You talked to, you talked about um, you know people celebrating uh, you know drug money and things like that, but but shaming people who are going out and getting it in other ways. 
you know, I would say that applies even for those exceptions of people who have exceptional wealth in hip hop, like, like Jay-Z. You know, we, we just talked about this on an episode of our show a couple of weeks ago about how Jay was celebrated for hustling and like making money in the crack game. But when he starts talking about his corporate enterprises and things like that, like he's out of touch and like and shame for it. So <laughs> it, the whole thing is, is kind of backwards, you know? I got a theory on that, man. Um, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily just the people. I think that's, I think we're being programmed to, to think that way. Um, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate. A lot of people fall for that trap, but I, I think it's programming. I, I, I don't think they, and when I say they, um, I think we all know who we talking about here, but I, I, I think we're being programmed to champion you know, illicit behavior versus legal, honest behavior. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just wise enough to understand and know the difference, right? Like I, I, I'm not going to fall into the trap, even though I felt and fell into the trap a little bit, you know what I mean? Like by not wanting to being afraid to disclose, you know what I mean? That, that I went out and, you know, substitute taught and drove Uber or whatever, and like I said, now I'm trying to help break that. Like I'm trying to help, you know, kids or, or youth or people coming up understand like there's nothing wrong with making an honest living. Do what you need to do to make sure you can put food on the table or you can have a roof over your head. I don't give a shit who laughs at you. Because you guess what? They ain't participating in you being able to afford to live. And that's the thing we got to understand is like, you may talk crazy about me because I drove Uber, but you weren't putting money in my pocket. So I didn't have to drive Uber. So what are we talking about? <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? So one hustle that was legitimate when we were younger and it sounds like we, you and I both participated in this hustle was the BMG music club. Oh know? yeah. So you mentioned that on God's grace. You remember oh, some yeah. of the CDs you got as part of that club? Man, I don't, but I, I, I got a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a lot. Uh, that's, that's how I heard Jay-Z for the first time. That's, you know, I probably got my biggie CD that way. Uh, uh, ready to die. Um, I, I was getting all type of stuff, man. I was just going through checking boxes and anything that was rap or R and B I was getting, um, uh, me and my brother, we both was pulling the hustle, uh, and, and we will each get 10 CDs. And I think I did it about three or four times where I was able to finesse it and, and, and get CDs, but thank you, BMG for shout for, out to Columbia house. Yeah. For that, for that <laughs> hustle. Um, Cause I don't even know. I think it was like 10 CDs for a cent, but you were supposed to like get magazines or something. And I, listen, I thank y'all. Y'all allowed me to really flourish in discovering music by presenting that offer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I got hard to earn Gangstar, which to this day is one of, if not my favorite hip hop album. I know you shouted out moment of truth on your album poop. So Oh yeah, it was it was a year thing. It was uh I was talking about nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, yep. yeah. So it was yes, a year sir. thing. 
Yeah. So we just have a couple more questions for you. But, you know, Reggie and I regularly speak about hip hop crews. And we were recently talking about the Justice League, which reunited a few weeks ago for the first time in a dozen years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm curious on how you look back and perceive that collective of talent. I think Cesar Comanche said it best in a recent interview. He was talking about how you have 15 guys who all come from different places, don't know each other, and we all collectively meet from some shape, form, or fashion, and we doing that good old boom bap. And people were telling us, that ain't going to work. It's not going to happen. What are y'all doing, especially in North Carolina? And we stuck to our guns and we made it happen. And, you know, I, I look back on those times and, you know, I wish we had better organization, better leadership. Um, we probably could have done a lot more um, as a as a collective uh, if we did. But I, I just I think the group, the collective served its collective purpose um at that time uh and and i you know i appreciate all them guys for coming out and you know joining me on stage and uh celebrating not just my album release but just celebrating you know the justice league um it was it was fun man that was that was a fun show i i i really enjoyed you know uh median leg sean book comanche edgar allen flow um sean don he was djing for me and you know he did some raps tay came out and he missed the you know tay don't like going in buildings right now still and he still came out and, and you know did a couple records and um you know joe scudder was there even though he wasn't officially part of the justice league he was there and so it was it was beautiful man i that was probably some of the most fun I had on stage in a long time. That's great to hear. And shout out to Cesar. I got to do uh, a press bio for him a lifetime and a half ago. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, you're a, you're a hip hop fan. So outside of, you know, LB, your solo work, um, what is one Justice League release, you know, from the J League, any artist or group that every hip hop head should hear if they haven't? Legacy. Okay. Um, uh, shit. <sighs> I think his second album was Suicide Music. Yeah, them first two albums, man, them legacy albums, man. I, Leg was a prolific writer, um, and he just had a unorthodox kind of flow, but it still flowed, like, kind of right. Man, going back, listening, like, I went back and listened to some of his records before we had that show, and I was like, man, I, I didn't even really understand what was going on here. Like, I knew he was nice, but to really go back and you just go over them records, man, like he was really saying some shit. Um, so definitely Legacy, man. That was, like I said, going back, revisiting the albums now, man, his really stick out to me. Mm. So, you know, one last thing I want to ask you is, um, you you said earlier you're an avid sports fan, and you know is there an athlete in any sport that rapper Big Pooh can draw a comparison from? Dennis Scott, okay. oh my guy. Um, you know I always like Dennis Scott. You know some people's like oh he's a three point specialist right, but Dennis Scott was like a glue guy. He, three point was his specialty, but he was he was a glue guy in the sense like he made he made 
things work better. Like he he spaced the floor for Shaq and a Nick Anderson to do their thing and a penny. Um and and that was kind of like me. Like I was you knew who I was, but I was like unassuming in the collective. But what I did was important for the collective. Mm. And and so I, I I think Dennis Scott, man. I you know, shout out to Dennis Scott. He drained a lot of clutch threes too, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, so on Broken Dreams, you said ego is a blade that will slice you up real proper from the insides. That that one hit me. Um can, can you talk a, a little bit more about that one? Yeah, that you know, that was speaking from just two 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 things actually. One, it was the work thing. Um, just that, like, you know, it took me a long time to set my pride and ego to the side and, and go, you know, get a job or, or go hustle, whatever. Um, but also just from a relationship standpoint, um, part of the reason why Tay and I didn't speak for as long as we did, I, I know at least on my end was ego. It was, you know, I ain't saying nothing to him till he say something to me. It was that type of thing. And that was all ego. You know what I mean? That was ego and pride. And that was that was kind of what I was talking about, was just like how even though it was hurting me that I didn't have my brother, you know what I'm saying? Like I couldn't, something happened, I couldn't call my brother, this guy that we done went through the trenches together. My ego was saying, nah, fam, don't call him until he call you. Don't talk to him until he talk to you. And we probably could have, you know, got over whatever our issues were, you know, few years before we actually did. If I just put my ego to the side, which I ended up doing uh, when I found out Fife passed, that was me putting my ego to the side. And once I did that, within three days, we was on the phone mm. and I was just like, shit, it was that that easy <laughs> like or that simple. Um so that's kind of that 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 line kind of represented both things just in a relationship form and then you know just in the life form. So, you know, I want to end on this, you know, because on that same song you said that um there was a point where you thought you were done rapping. Mm-hmm. You know, but here we are today talking about, you know, a, a really dope album. So obviously you continued. So what would you say to all those out there who are who are trying to man up, you know, and live their dreams, whose dreams might feel broken? What would you say to them to keep going in those times when they feel, feel like they can't? Just got to learn how to adjust, learn how to adapt, and learn how to pivot. And when you're young, you, you don't necessarily know how to do those things. Um, you think there's only one way to skin a cat when you're young. It's like, my dream looks this way. So if it's not happening this way, it's not my dream. That's not how it works. Um, We don't get to determine our path. Uh, All we can do is move forward. And that's something that I had to learn was that my path wasn't going to be a straight line. It was going to have all types of turns and twists and loops and, you know, got to double back and then go forward and then double back again. Like, that's life. And once I understood that, I was able to really step back into music with the proper 
perspective. And and I can thank my my um my brother Rich for that. Um, you know, I call him my mentor and and, and he 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 prefers that we call each other brothers, but he he allowed me to really look at things, you know, he helped me change my perspective on a lot of things just by really just talking to me and um showing me things, you know, or explaining to me things that I didn't really have the proper perspective on. And 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 a lot of those conversations when we met in 2013, you know, the things he was saying would happen ended up happening. Um and and it's amazing. He he I was like, bro, you saw the future. And he was like, nah, I just understand how how this thing works. And and so I I definitely credit him for helping me to really put things in the proper perspective when I was at that point where I wanted to really walk away from it all. That's dope. Shout out to Rich. Rapper Big Pooh, the album is to Dream in Color, available on all streaming platforms now. is on vinyl. You got physical copies out there too? We got the vinyl coming. Um, I actually just got off the phone with Rich before I got on with y'all. Um uh, we going I'm gonna do something special for the vinyl. Um, you know, people they bullied me into doing this vinyl. So uh I'm gonna do a limited, it's gonna be limited, um, probably about between two, three hundred pieces, numbered, signed, and I'm gonna do something special. I'm gonna put um my goal is to put two tracks that you only can get on vinyl. Um and and those are gonna be on the limited pieces of vinyl. And then once they done, they done. Uh, and I'll probably do some CDs as well, but they won't have the bonuses on them. So, uh, yeah. May the Lord watch the documentary coming in 2023, March or so, early, early 2023. Uh, probably we, we, we probably looking about spring. Um, okay. okay. You know, we, we also celebrating 20 years of the listening in February, yeah. in the February, 2023. So, uh, you know, the documentary will come a little bit after that. Okay. And you going on tour for the album? Yeah, we got some dates planned. Uh, we we gonna have an announcement coming up very soon. Uh, we got a couple dates. Uh, we probably gonna lock some more in once we get a good idea when the documentary coming. But we do got some coming very soon. So you expect that announcement in another week or two. Okay, awesome, man. Thank you for your time and thank you for the music. Thank y'all, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Peace. Peace. Peace.